Hello again, it's Lee and Annabelle coming to you from the breast room once again. <laughs> we are sitting less than one metre from a Sharps disposal bin. It's pretty it exciting. It is in circumstances of such glamour that we conclude budget week, <laughs> which was bloody glamorous. What, the you were one of the people outside in the um, Antarctic winds. I was, but you know what? Oh, I reckon I was there for about ten minutes tops, and out of... I, was, I think almost every single piece of feedback that I received about that um, little segment was entirely about either, where'd you get that jacket? Or, put a jumper on! Or, doesn't the ABC have enough money for for buildings anymore? And so this, on. Is, this is a very important thing about television that I remember being taught when I was back at university. The visuals dominate. Yeah. And so people are very easily distracted. So if you're looking like you're in a wind tunnel or you've got big dangly earrings on or something, that's what people right. pay attention to. Well, you know, I mean, there were four of us perching around on stools, Barry Cassidy, George Megalogenis, Chris Yorman and me. Um, we were all holding little hand warmers, which are these weird little... Do you ever use one of these? I did when I was in the US. Yeah. yeah. So they're these little sort of... They're like those um, desiccant sachets that you find in camera boxes and stuff, but bigger. And I think you actually like sort of thump it and then it kind of generates heat. And then I think it's for skiers to put in their boots or something, but you can actually retain some digital dexterity for longer <laughs> when you're in um, cold situations. Anyway, it was fine, but it did look a little bit um, uh, wintry, I think, which oh. um, <laughs> did... Um, capture, capture the uh, attention of many viewers. I was at least indoors, but I, I was at the intersection of a couple of corridors, and when the program started, it coincided with everyone coming out of the house yeah. and wraps after Joe's speech, and so it was incredibly noisy. Hi, and dude. I... <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> and the elevator near me going, ding, ding, oh, ding. No. Um, and I realised uh, very swiftly that I could not hear anything from the control room, which is how I know how much longer I've got to go on interviews and things like that. So, yeah, that was a really nice sort of, you know, bowel-loosening moment at the <laughs> opening of an you know, hour-long broadcast. The thing is that um, on budget night, lots of people are broadcasting live, and from different positions as well, like Sky and the ABC between us have about eight different broadcast locations. And it's really a logistical debacle because at the same time, the building is totally full of log rollers and lobbyists and the industry groups who are there having paid bajillions of dollars to go to budget dinners and the budget dinners over the years have just infested every corner of parliament house so at about 10 30 when i was like lunging around parliament house looking for the other location that i was going to do the last little segment on i kept sort of blundering into these rooms that would be full of slightly surprised looking chaps in business suits you know <laughs> having an after dinner port you know and then as yulman and i finished off um, at this other location um, talking about the budget, up by which I'd reached the point where, A, I could barely speak anymore, and, B, I couldn't remember the word deduction, which is, like, <laughs> always a strong clue that you've just about lost it. There you are these people peak pouring budget. out of some dinner, like past us, which is like, oh, my God, let's just pull up stumps. Time for late line. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, I'm glad I've got to do one more budget-related thing tonight because Bill Shorten's doing his budget reply speech, but then budget will be behind me for another year. For this, I am glad. Um, you're still a bit... A croaky, it's you bringing the phlegm. Oh, this I've time. got a lot of phlegm to give, actually. So I'll uh, I'll I'll bestow that upon you um, <laughs> um, judiciously at some point in the next twenty minutes. Now, before I forget. You can go to our website www.chat10looks3.com um, if you want to 
um, click on anything that we have been deduction. Deduction. Anything we've been talking about. Hey, even though we don't have this incorporated, we don't make any money out of it. Is there anything we can claim? Because I've got to say, when I was Cookware. locked up in there in the budget, and I got to about page five of the treasurer's speech. Before that, I was just like, oh, Yonsky, Yonsky. Yep, know this. Yep, we knew that was coming. And then all of a sudden, there's this. Um, $20,000 instant asset write-off for anybody with an ABN. I just thought, well, I know what I'm doing at 731. I'm, you know, <laughs> looking into what I might be needing for business. But it's been, yes, it was the one really surprising, I thought, part of the budget. And uh, I'm sure, in fact, I'm sure that our listeners might have some ideas about how we might improve things. I mean, obviously, uh, more microphones. <laughs> Teamed with uh, a life coach who would remind you to bring them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I also think maybe we need some theme music or something. Because I listen to other podcasts and I think, yeah. well, everyone's very professional. They've got their theme music and it sort of dissolves in and out and all yeah. the rest of it. We need dissolvers. Is it half? <laughs> no, $19,000 worth of dissolvers, please. Stat. <laughs> but then the great thing about the instant asset writer thing um, sorry to sound like Bruce Bilson for a moment, but um, it's luscious, it's delightful, it's delicious. He's the most kind of high camp um, small business minister this country's ever known. He's great, God bless him. But oh, listen, um, now, hang on, I just got a text message on my phone, and I remember last time yeah. we were talking, and then the pod, it was podcasters interrupt us when it just stopped recording. So I'm just going to. Um, if we had a $20,000 professional recording do what thingy, we would have a. But oh, no, it's still going, okay. Well, there you go, so text you messages see? don't interrupt it, only phone calls, perhaps. Okay. Um, okay, good, I'm glad we've got that sorted out. I feel <laughs> like we've been so boring for the first 15 five minutes it's been six minutes i feel like we've been really dull that's true <laughs> so okay. okay what can we talk about that's interesting okay um i am happy to see in recent weeks the ascendancy of the nice people i think the nice people are taking over the world i'm very happy except about for this. those rotting paid parental except for those scammers. dipping mothers of newborns those <laughs> filthy wretches um i am very happy that carrie bickmore won the gold logie Yes, mm -hmm. and I thought I know it's a little bit old now, but I, I thought that her speech about brain cancer was an absolutely wonderful example of how those sorts of speeches don't have to be narcissistic, and yep. they can. Act, it was so wonderful, all cliched, all cliched. It was absolutely fantastic, and I loved how she also, as well as saying, "Here's my message. It's about brain cancer," and she shared, you know, her very moving personal story. It was incredible how composed she was too. I loved how she also said, without labouring the point, to people out there who are having a really shit time, mm. that, that this is not the rest of your life. And she didn't then go into, oh, well, because now I've got a new partner and yeah, da 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 da, -da. Um, But it was just, I thought, a really fantastic message and it just, I thought, I don't know her at all, but I just thought it made her seem like she was a really nice person and so I was very glad for that. I agree. Good. <laughs> Next example of nice people um, ruling the world. Hamish and Andy are coming back to do their drive time yeah. radio yeah. show. I'm a big fan of theirs because I love the fact that their humour never really seems to be at anyone's expense. It's yeah. just generally silliness. Yeah. Um, and they are so funny. And I love that their friendship and the fact that they find each other funny really shines through. Um, I met them when Hillary Clinton came to Australia and I was hosting a function with her. She did one other interview, which was with Hamish and Andy, because she wanted to... I, didn't remember, I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, she, I, it was just I, I, I only remember your own <laughs> clinical it's and dastardly... <laughs> <laughs> it was a 
radio, just a radio interview that she did with them. Um, but I thought that Hamish asked just the funniest question, which was, have you ever had occasion to say to somebody, you just made yourself a really powerful enemy? <laughs> And she went along with it really well. She laughed and I can't remember how she replied to it, but I think she said no, but I've wanted to or something like that. Anyway, they really make me laugh and I'm so glad that they are going back onto commercial radio in that sort of, I don't even know what radio station it is, but um, news.com.au the other week had a um, piece about Hamish and Andy's 10 funniest radio moments and you could click on all of them. We'll put it on our website, www.chat10looks3.com. I see what you did there. I wonder if, I mean... How often would Hillary Clinton, in an interview, be asked a genuinely surprising question? I mean, it must just, Almost never. It must just never happen, right? I mean, no. like, I remember when I was in the, um, uh, in the UK working for Fairfax there, and every now and again I'd be sent along to one of those, um, you know, movie junket things where, mm. you know, um, you get seven minutes with a movie star and then they get shifted on to the next person. Or sometimes in the even grimmer ones, there's, you know, five of you in a room. Yeah. You know, somebody from Dutch radio and somebody from, you know, Norwegian online. And then you've got sort of five minutes with this star and you're trying to think of something vaguely original to ask them. It's nearly impossible. And you it look is. at them and you know that they are suffering. And I know, but I don't have so much sympathy for them because I think, well, you, you've been paid 15 mil for this yeah. and this is part of your, your job. Um, but sometimes they're so jet lagged as well. Look, I actually generally hate interviewing really famous people because there is nothing new mm. to ask them. Um, but the problem is that the audience still wants to hear probably the same questions yeah because they've been asked them a million times but not everyone watching has heard them right yeah the interview so Even, you're asking the most obvious question that everybody wants to hear you ask Hillary Clinton that's whatever. right exactly although I've got to say top points to have you ever used the phrase you just made yourself a really powerful <laughs> yeah. <one."> <laughs> and that's probably why she laughed because it probably was one of the few surprising things that she'd ever been asked or, or that it actually genuinely um, made her laugh I spend a lot of time with those interviews trying to figure out what can I ask that's new that will maybe build rapport, particularly, as you say, because they, I might be the 25th interview of the day and we've got seven minutes, and so that's really hard to build Yeah, you've got to try and snap them out of that, um, yeah. that formulaic approach where they think, oh, yeah, I'm answering these questions, but in my brain I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. And, you yeah, know. exactly. The good ones seem to know how to keep bringing it, but it's just not very pleasant. Like, you'd think it would be fun to get a chance to interview somebody famous or that you're a fan of but actually it can be really excruciating. You interviewed Buzz Aldrin recently right and that that man must have been I mean interviewed more times. He's the oh, only kind God. of moon guy who's actually alive and be gives yes. interviews right. I know and it was like well what do you this guy spent two and a half hours on the moon and nobody has stopped asking him about it for the next 43 years. He's probably really good at like Ikebana or something or it's just got a really really nice knack with poetry or something. Oh, man. it was That was really quite hard going. I'll tell you what I did, though, do after that. When I was reading the prep for that, oh, my God, it was so interesting because all of the astronauts, when they came home, have all had some, you know, quite difficult lives yeah. and paths, particularly Buzz Aldrin, because, as you might imagine, being asked every on a daily basis the question, how did it feel to be the second, second man on the moon, moon um, tends to wear on one a little after a while. Anyway, um... And it's interesting too, the personalities. I don't know, if, have you ever read um, The Right Stuff? 
No, I haven't. Oh, oh. fantastic book by Tom Wolfe, which is about the early days of the space program and it was all um, test pilots who were the people who were channeled into being astronauts. Now, to do that type of work, which involves on any daily basis probably 50-50% chance of death, if not higher, you have to have a certain personality type. And yeah. so the personality types either tended to be absolute people who were party animal risk takers who mm. were like that in their personal life as well. You can't Hence the film Top Gun. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that was the Buzz Aldrin personality. Or borderline psychopath, sociopath, cold and able to detach yourself and just remain cool in every circumstance. That was Neil Armstrong's personality. That was the, you know, there's one air supply uh, <laughs> remaining on this <laughs> rocket and it's going to be mine. <laughs> it, was, it was So it was the difference between, just to keep the Top Gun analogy, going goose and maverick no not goose and maverick maverick and Iceman, the Val Kilmer character do you know i watched top val kilmer's finest moment there wasn't much after that no val kilmer wasn't he in a vampire thing after that or something at all just you can't know, remember it wasn't good i watched top gun again not so long ago i can't remember why and i must say and i don't know if this speaks to my That's age a hilarious admission if i may say so not as hilarious as what's about to come when i watched it i thought <laughs> The Tom Cruise character was an irresponsible child and the Val Kilmer character was who I'd want flying really? my plane. <laughs> yes. Whoa. Yeah. I was not liking Tom Cruise's vibe at all. That's fine. But the goose was the nicer one, wasn't he? Yeah, but he was the one who bit the dust. Yes, I know. Well, I said Thanks so. to Tom Cruise. Therefore, I'm no longer marriageable <laughs> on account <laughs> yeah. of being dead. That's right. Now, speaking anyway, of just um, turning the clock back, I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh. Well, the other day you said that um, you didn't know who Spandau Ballet was. Now, that's you are lying about your age, lady. No, I was I having a joke. You were very protected. I was having a joke at the end of um, 7.30 where we had a piece um, where one of the reporters had interviewed Spandau Ballet, who are out here at the moment, and at the end of the story I said, actually, I've never heard of Spandau Ballet. I must be a little young. <laughs> and then just gave a little knowing me. Actually, I was thinking of that before when we were talking about awkward things to ask. When I was watching the story, I was thinking, oh, I wonder where the name Spandau Ballet comes from. And when I got home, my husband said to me, well, how come they got the name Spandau Ballet? And I'm sure the reporter probably didn't put it in because she felt like, oh, God, you know, they probably so didn't obvious. that. Yeah. Do you know the answer to that? No. I assume, I mean, it's, uh, no, I don't know. Um, Tori Maguire, who's about to be the editor of the Huffington Post in Australia, tweeted me to say she's going to Spandau Ballet on Friday night and she was mentioning it to her babysitter and the babysitter said, oh, that'd be lovely. I've never been to the ballet. Oh, that is excellent. <laughs> no, that's that's nice. That now I'm a... talking too much. You, what have you been reading? In oh, I've been reading budget papers one through four. Oh, whoa, I love a bit of a budget paper, I must say. I, I, one of the nicest things about the budget lockup is that you get to turn your phone off for you know mm. six hours and just read a document from go to woe. And there is a bit of criticism of the budget lockup, which says you know it. it it, it really isn't market sensitive anymore, particularly in a year like this one where pretty much everything was um, uh, flushed out before the lockup started. But it's so important. It's the only time really now as a journalist where you actually get time off from filing for six hours. It's true. And you can absorb something. And having that time alone with that document and kind of committing it to memory is the most useful six hours of the year. Like, just in terms of refreshing your knowledge of the structure of 
which departments do what and programs. You remind yourself of things that were announced three months ago that you've forgotten about because the news cycle moves so quickly. So um, if you are ever called on to vote on whether the budget lockup should be abolished, vote now! <laughs> anyway, I have been reading other things apart from that. Um, I've read a couple of novels recently, mm-hmm. um, and one of them was a, a novel that's been a massive hit. Um, and I think you've read it too, um, The Husband's Secret by Leanne Moriarty. Yes, right. So Leanne that. Moriarty is this Sydney writer who is one of these writers who's kind of, you know, moderately well-known in Australia, but just unbankably famous in the States and in the UK. And she writes these books. There's a string of them now. Um, the Husband's Secret is the one that I've read, and I think it's probably... It's the newest one's called Big Little Lies. Right, okay. There's The Hypnotist Love Story. Um, can't remember all the others, but there's about six or seven. So they're about women, right? The, the most striking thing about this, these books, I think, is that they are... It's not really exactly chick lit in that whole kind of, you know, romance novel tradition. They are quite um, beautifully written, mm. complicated, sophisticated storylines in which the all of the relevant, interesting, complicated characters are chicks, right? And quite often they sit around schools, um, and it's been said of her that she um, she parodies the kind of um, alpha mum in the parents' association with absolute razor-sharp accuracy. But I must say, um, it's not a genre that I'm normally that into, but I picked up this book, it was sent to me, and um, I started reading it and then was really gripped by it, you know, it was just a thumping good plot with all of these grabby, catchy bits throughout. And I really liked the fact that all of the female characters were interesting. They were all strong. They were quite complicated. They weren't reliant on blokes. And there was none of that kind of, you know, oh, thank Christ, I've been saved at the end by some knight in shining armour. Yeah, I uh, got into reading her on the recommendation of a friend whose taste in books I like, and I completely agree with what you just said. And I love a good plot-driven book because I feel like I read a lot of stuff that's bogged down in, you know, description and character and stuff. Um, And really what holds my attention, frankly, is a cracking good story. Mm. And hers all have had cracking good stories. So I was reading her when I was on maternity leave, and basically, Leanne Moriarty, thank you for keeping me sane. (laughs) Because they're actually quite easy reads like they're absorbing and you can easily keep track of where you're up to with a lot of interruptions which is perfect when yep. you've got a small baby so I really rate her I think she's terrific. Plus the writing's really good I mean there's none it of is. that you don't I mean you know sometimes you sort of think I just want to read a kind of a, um, a light pacey book but you're let down by really exactly. shit writing and you kind of read it and you think oh, this is a waste of time because I feel like it's just popcorn or worse than popcorn it's it's the cheesel of, yeah you know, although i love cheesel so that that's an unfair analogy <laughs> i'm trying to think of a crap food stuff that i don't enjoy i'm unable to think of one okay, okay. i'm just going to uh, wheel around abruptly from that uh, blind alley metaphor and canter back up the tracks where was i <laughs> She's fabulous. anyway so it's, I sort of enjoyed reading it because I, I finished it and thought, wow, that was really gripping. I don't feel dirty. Uh, it was good. The writing was good. I didn't, there was nothing that stood out as, I didn't sort of think, oh, this is really rubbish. Uh, it was really 
You know. And do you know what's the great thing about discovering somebody who's already been aw- around for a while but you've not heard of them? There's, then there's a huge... Right. Yeah, back You don't catalog. have to wait around while they write something else, you know. Um, we discovered recently, you and I, that we share a great love for a television show called Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And I discovered that when five <laughs> seasons had already been made. The whole so thing had been good. done and dusted. Were you pregnant at the time? Because I there's was. nothing better than yep. discovering a series that's been around for years. There's eight back seasons and you're about to be... Sitting on your ass in the middle of the night, awake. You know? And I only had one. It was when I was had just the one child. Oh, so plenty of so like every time I'd be breastfeeding, it'd be like, let's watch one more episode. It was absolutely perfect. If you haven't watched Friday Night Lights, it was yeah. great. I love it. And talking about great chick roles, I reckon Connie um, Britain. Britain's role in that in that series um, is just fabulous. Keeps on growing, and yeah, yeah it's it's. It's popcorn, but it's great popcorn. Really know? well done. Yeah. And the central relationship in it, which is the husband and wife, Connie Britton, and I can't think of the coach name. Coach. Yeah. We'll just call him coach. coach. Eric, Eric, I think his name. No, Eric's the character's Eric's name. Eric's the character's name. Kyle, I think his name might be in Rilla. Um, th- their marriage is one of the more believable relationships I've ever seen in a television show. Um, yeah, anyway, I love, love, love yeah. that show yep. so much. And so did Speaking crap. of television... Um, I have just been so glued to the series Return of Veep. Same here. I could oh not God. love it anymore. So I remember um, when I first I saw the first episode of Veep, and this is the one where Julia Louis Dreyfus is, you know, the vice president. Look, it's um, written by Armando Iannucci, um, who was responsible for the thick of it. Um, and in the first episode, I remember thinking, oh, this could go either way. But my love for that show has just deepened and deepened and deepened ever, ever since. And the interesting thing that that show has done in this series, which is what, the third? She has stopped being the vice president and started being the president. Now, that is a really hard transition to make for a plot, right? Because the Veep, the, the running gag was that she was this ambitious fallible, kooky, feisty, although I hate the word feisty when it's applied to women. Is it ever applied to men? No, it is not. So scratch that word from the record. Look, um, you know, disaster um, prone vice president um, scrabbling along in the wake of a sort of uncaring president, right? The whole joke is about the office of vice president in America where you've got this sort of titular position that enables you to do pretty much nothing except launch things and be perpetually surprised when the president's done something that you didn't know about. Yet somehow, when the president at the end of the last series met with some adventure and she became the president, the show's just got even better. Even though that that underlying gag has kind of been removed because she's now president, it's strong enough and the team around her is strong enough comedically and dramatically for this still to be just a great show. Yeah. It has to be one of the best comedic teams of actors ever assembled, I would think. Yep. Um, and I th- one of my favourite things about it is that every character has a quite distinct identity and they are all hilarious in really different ways. Um, and also I feel like I probably should go from season one and watch through again because I reckon I'm missing so many lines because I laugh so hard. Yeah, right. Um, That's I how mean, I used to watch The West Wing. I used to watch The West Wing with a bunch of friends in Canberra and we would watch the show from last week again and then have dinner and then watch the new show. So yeah. we'd see all of them twice, which is actually... 
not a bad way to exactly if you've got time to burn which i no longer have so anyway some of the veep episodes like some of my favorite lines there was one that one of the advisors once said which was um you know this isn't a choice it's not a choice like my diet it's a necessity like my drinking (laughs) (laughs) like it's full of hilarious lines like that there was another one where the national security advisor wanted to launch a strike on some country and um the you know, Selena Myers and her the Vice President Julie Louis Dreyfus wanted to try to talk it down and the advisor came in and was talking about the NSA and said, um, you know, come on, I've got a national security advisor in there with eagles flying out of his dick <laughs> <laughs> It is you just do spend a lot of time just speechless with laughter in that show and the point you make though about the transition from a show where a character leaps into a new uh, level particularly if it's something that they've been aspiring to um, so the transition from vice president to president I think an example of a show where that has not been successfully executed is House of Cards I could not agree more I'm still watching it because you know you can't not watch something that's got Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright in it I mean it's just not a human option so I'm keeping watching it but it's interesting each week when I watch an episode of Veep and an episode of House of Cards, I think that the, the paths are diverging mm. because you're so right. In one case it works and in the other case it doesn't. What freaks you out about this season of House of Cards? I think because the defining qualities of the Kevin Spacey and um, Robin Wright characters, Frank and Claire Underwood, is their grasping desperation for power. Mm. And so now that they have power... It's like they've, Frank particularly, has become a different character because now he wants to use his power for good. Yeah, now he wants to get America working. And you just think, no, 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 you want to use your power to shag people and, and kill them. And, yeah, that's right. That's and the old to, Frank. And to, that's right, and to take care of yourself. So I can't buy the altruistic mm. Frank. I still do love, I mean, I love how it looks. I love that it's set in Washington and I love, um, I mean, and those Robert credits. Wright's wardrobe. I mean, they're just beautiful, and The credits are amazing. They? Yeah. Um, and Robin Wright, like, she is so beautiful. I'm surprised countries have not gone to war over her. Like, she's so extraordinarily gorgeous I think in her that wardrobe. In series five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> her wardrobe, too, I just completely covered. And yeah, Kevin Spacey is just awesome. For, for mine, also, there's not enough of the. Um... Although that side flick is just getting stupid, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's getting flickier. Jeremy and I often just, like, chart the progress of her part down the side <laughs> yeah. of her head. It's just like. It's God. sort of like a bad coma. It is, yeah. It's really getting worrying. Oh, there's not enough for me anymore of the Kevin Spacey character talking to camera. Yeah. I love that delicious little thing and they, they've stopped doing it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually... My jump having... the shark moment for um, House of Cards is that time she stages an impromptu meeting with... Was it the Russian ambassador yeah. in the toilet? Yeah. I'm just thinking, what? Now you just, you know... I know, I think it was like her trying to show that she's one of the blokes, but to me it was a total violation of her character. It didn't seem like yeah. something that Claire Underwood would yeah. do. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little disappointed in that, I must say. Yeah, I um, still watch it. I don't know. I'm not going to let it go. I, I, just... I've, I must admit I haven't... I probably got up to episode three and then I've Ooh, stalled. Wow. Because I'm so time poor and there's yeah. other things I want to watch more. So... Um, now, Speaking of time, Paul, how are we going? We've got about four minutes left, yeah. so a couple of quick things. Um, mm. Something that I read, I think, last weekend that I really, really loved was a profile of a newspaper, the NT News. Um, oh, it was yeah. so great. Um, if anyone's not familiar, the NT News is um, the Darwin Daily Newspaper. It is well known for its quite 
um, hilarious and sort of tabloid headlines, the most famous being why I shoved a cracker up my clacker. <laughs> Which was a Walkley Award-winning headline, wasn't it? Was. it? it was. about a guy who stuck a cracker up his bum on cracker. Firecracker, and, yeah, um, exactly. Um, and it was like a pinwheel so sort of one. And <laughs> so he did an interview with the NT News from the Burns unit at the Darwin Hospital. <laughs> I love um, They have a fixation. They like cane toads. They like croc stories. Um, anyway. I remember when I was working in Canberra, on September the 11th, so on September the 12th, every newspaper in Australia had the world trade attacks on the front, except the NT News, it still went with a crop attack. Wow. Yeah. The, actually, I love the way the journal who did it, Tim Elliott, the Sydney Morning Herald, I loved how he opened it, which was, he said, you know, XYZ date was actually a pretty good good news day or, or, or a good day if you were in a newsroom. And he went through, you know, X number of people were killed in Aleppo and this happened. And it was actually a really busy news day. And he said, you know, the NT News led with none of those stories and that that was the cracker up the clacker day. Um, and it was just a great way of opening to show the different way they, they think. But interestingly, the article included um, some info, which is that the NT News is the fastest growing masthead in Australia. It spiked 55% with its readership last year. Totally bucking the trend yeah. with newspapers generally. Wasn't there some figure in there about how they've got more social media followers than there are people living in the Northern Territory? Yes. So basically, um, where did I write that down? Yeah, the real success has been online where its audience, 258,000, is almost double the population of Darwin. Isn't that incredible? Phenomenal. And what the stuff they do on Twitter, they are so funny on Twitter. Mm. I mean, even if you don't ever click through to read the paper... Um, they have absolutely mastered the art of Twitter. And, you know, um, people who are really good at headlines are often mm. really good at Twitter because it's exactly yes. the same discipline. S something that's compelling, punchy, funny, and sums up the whole story mm. in a really short period of um, uh, space, you know. And yeah. I think that's um, it's kind of no accident that they're really good at that stuff. Can I read you aloud one of my favourite bits in yeah. the story, um, which I think will give listeners a taste of what the overall tone of the piece was, talking about how the NT News has managed to annoy, you know, lots of people in the Territory. The paper even managed to alienate what might be considered one of its core constituencies, UFO hunters. Darwin-based ufologist Alan Ferguson has traditionally been the NT News's chief source of alien stories until 2013, when he says he was misquoted in a story about alien abductions. The yarn, titled UFOologist or ufologist, however you say it, gets to the bottom of alien probes, <laughs> claimed aliens had been abducting Territorians and using them in a breeding program. It went on to say that Ferguson had himself been abducted and subject to anal probing, a suggestion Ferguson took exception to. I contacted Ferguson to see if he would talk to me, but he emailed back saying, sorry, mate, but I've given up doing interviews, especially anything to do with the NT News. In another email, he admitted he had indeed mentioned anal probing to the NT News. I did say the abductees cop it up a starfish, but I said straight away, don't repeat that. <laughs> seems Ferguson thought talk of anal probes would be detrimental to, detrimental to his work, while the NT News thought talk of anal probes was irresistible to readers. <laughs> Particularly on Cracker Night. <laughs> yeah. The best thing that I liked about that article was, um, which you sent to me straight away, very kindly, thank you, was the interview with the um, uh, Chief Minister of the Northern Territory, Adam Giles, who said, like... The NT is the only what place that you would ever get a quote like this from the state or territory leader, right? <laughs> he says, oh, yeah, well, it's helped with PR. I mean, you never have to explain where... Uh... 
where Northern Territory is because everybody knows that's the place where a guy stuck a cracker up his ass. <laughs> yeah. oh, I paraphrase there slightly. No, I've not interviewed many premiers or chief ministers that have been able no. to quite you know, breezily use the word ass. I know, it's so good. Um, I do have my own favourite um, line or headline from the NT News, um, and there's thousands of them that are great. But there was, um, they have a constant diet of stories where a crocodile has bitten someone, and um, they had this brilliant breakout yarn a little while back where, um, just for something different, uh, a moray eel had bitten someone when they were out fishing, you know, on a reef or something. And the headline was, <laughs> if you're out on the reef and you feel some sharp teeth, that's amore. <laughs> I mean, like, you just would be slapping yourself on the back for months the second you thought of that. Like, it's, oh. it's the instant gratification of the, of the headline writer. I mean... There was you know. one that I absolutely loved, um, which was in The Australian a few years ago. I think... It was, I can't remember if it was about Bill Ludwig or... What's the other Ludwig's name? I can't remember. Joe. Joe Ludwig. One of them um, cracking down on some union sort of misbehaviour. The headline was Ludwig Bands Vothaven. <laughs> How clever is that? that wow, is, that is... Unbelievable. Unbelievably clever. Ludwig Strutting ba- Ludwig Bands Vothaven. Oh brilliantly. Wow. Yeah, you'd clever. be walking tall. I remember yeah, exactly. there were, oh, we should stop this, but um when um Tom Cruise sued what magazine was I can't it? Believe that we've he, back to Tom Cruise. I know, I know. We've looped back to Tom Cruise. Um what's the magazine that he sued for suggesting that he was gay? Or no, that he was, there was a, um, a report that he was impotent, that's right, yeah. and that he wasn't the father of whichever, you know, children, um, and, or that that's why he couldn't, anyway. Um, and he sued them, and he won um, by proving medically that he wasn't impotent. And I think it was the Australian, although I may be wrong, um, reported this in a brief on which the headline was, Emission Possible. Oh! <laughs> So good. <laughs> very, very clever. The um, NT News advertised for a position as a sub-editor recently, and the job ad was something like, do you like wearing thongs to work? I'm, I'm like, yes. Do you like sleeping in late? Yes. Do you like Luxa? Yes. <laughs> I think we've got the job for you. I'm like, it's my dream job. <laughs> I think I know exactly who wrote that ad. <laughs> yes. I, I would absolutely love if I had no responsibilities to just spend a year working at the NT News and then write a book about it. Brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to do that. It'd be phenomenal, but sadly I've got responsibilities. Yeah. Anyway. Boo-hoo. All right. Um, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Chat10Looks3. Or you can go to wwwchat 10 the number 10 looks 3 the number 3com Or you can, um, you can get follow. us at iTunes and don't forget to leave us a review. That's right, because it's, it really helps us. I'm not sure how, but it... Obscurely, but yeah. Phil says it does. So exactly, it does. so it definitely does. And you can follow at Annabelle Crab and at Lee Sales on Twitter and... Yeah, that's, and just, that's just, it. just walk away. Just walk, walk away. away. <laughs> okay, bye.